0: What is up, Leafs fam? This is the Leafs Convo. I am Norman James. How are you listening? On the Radio Public app, YouTube nicely done really though however you're listening to us thank you so much for supporting this podcast we are moving shaking building every time mike and i collab for a discussion speaking of mike is standing by he and i are going to talk about his latest article for hockeybuzz.com the results of that austin matthews mike babcock summit in arizona it was a good thing for those two to get together and clear the air right mike Ajello is ready to go i am so are you let's do it the leafs convo starts now And here's our good friend, Mike Agiello from Buffalo, New York. Hello, Michael. How are you?
1: Good morning, Norman. I am fine. Uh, It's a overcast and rather dreary looking day in Buffalo, which unfortunately that's been the case for a while.
0: It's the same here. I I love exchanging weather updates with you, Mike. That's what we do on this podcast. There you go. (laughs) So your latest for hockey buzz detailing the, uh, relationship as we know it between mike babcock and austin matthews uh babs heading down to arizona to have a powwow with his star center and basically coming away with from that meeting and saying look you know it was good it was it was worthwhile but you know our relationship isn't going to be rosy every day
1: yeah and and again i my my opinion of this whole Uh, rift or this whole story of the rift is it's much ado about nothing because you know through a regular season it's never always it's never always going to be smooth and and great and everybody's going to be on the same page you got people they're going to have problems with their bosses and essentially Mike Babcock is Austin Matthews boss he's the head coach he's the one who draws up the plan and I mean you could tell I, I think that when the story came out after Game Seven, they both did the best that they could to sort of uh avoid the, you know, like, well, I, I don't like the coat, you know, like they, they, they said, you know, we talked, we're everything's fine, he's a good guy, you know, like, and then, but Babcock, um, you know, I think did a smart thing in going down to Arizona. Now, supposedly it was a family vacation as well, so he killed, he knocked, they killed two birds with one stone, but he went down there and had a discussion with him, a couple, you know, like a, few weeks after the season rather than sort of letting sleeping dogs lie and, and, and let things fester over the summer. And then maybe a, a, bigger rift occurs mm-hmm. when they come back for training camp because i mean for for, you know, for all intents and purposes austin matthews is the most important player on this team i mean there are going to be other players that are important but he's g- g- probably going to be the future captain he's going to be the leader of this club and babcock and him need to be on the same page and you know in the interview with darren drager yesterday he admitted you know it's, it's not going to be you know flowers and candy every yeah. day you know they're they're, com- they're competitive guys they both want the same goal but they they you know, have different ideas of how to get there. But Babcock is the head coach, and basically you know, you're going to have to go with mm-hmm. what he wants because I, I don't think he's going to mm-hmm. sort of uh, uh, lower his uh, <clears throat> or change his uh, the course of action based on the opinion of this star player who's 20 years old.
0: This is the Leafs combo: Norman James in London, Ontario. My partner in crime, Mike Jello in Buffalo, New York we know reaction filters through social media mike it's just we you know we we criticize it we laud it but it's it's just there that's how we push our product that's how we consume information so reaction is there and you'll have factions one side saying well you know we're we're down with whatever mike babcock sells us because he's the leader we love him mm-hmm. and then you have another faction that looks at mike babcock as if he represents a bit of an old-school way of thinking. He's gruff, he's tough. He's set in his ways, and that's fine. And you you may dislike the way he handled some of the strategies and the players in that uh, seven-game loss to Boston. However, mm. is there no such thing as reconciliation anymore? If if you don't like the way Mike Babcock handled his star center in Austin Matthews and he goes down to Arizona to try to clear the air, and perhaps he apologized, perhaps he set the record straight, just wanted to get on the same page. Isn't that enough for you? Isn't that fine? Like, the head coach is doing his, he's he's looking inward, he's making the attempt, he's reaching out, he's trying to reconcile. What's wrong with that?
1: nothing I I think it was I think it was smart for him to do so I think that you know he needs you know Austin Matthews needs Mike Babcock and Mike Babcock needs Austin Matthews and they both have the same goal and I I think right now the only difference is philosophically how do you best reach that goal and that's that's where Mm -hmm. like I, I I use for example the Um, the, 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 the playing of him and Mitch Marner together. Now, clearly Babcock doesn't want to do that. He wants to have, you know, Marner controls the puck. So does Matthews. They want the puck and having two guys on a line that do the same thing, Mm -hmm. he believes is sort of detrimental, but clearly Matthews and Marner want to play together. I think like against Boston, you had Pasternak, Marchand and Bergeron all on the same line and how, how, dynamic and how effective that line was but that's philosophical you see Matthews saying well I'd like to play with him he's a great player blah 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 they played together for I think three or four games during early in the season and then they were quickly broken up and I think Matt Marner moved to the fourth line after that one this is before he started to really get on track and at the end of the year you know, he was, asked, he was asked about that, and Babcock says, well, you guys, meaning the media, mm-hmm. want Marner and Matthews to play together. I want to win. So he clearly believes that Matthews and Marner playing together is not, detri- not detrimental, but it, it's not the best thing, and that's, that may be part of the philosophical difference. That is not like the coach hates the player or the player hates the coach. So I, I think it's much ado about nothing, really.
0: Has Austin Matthews generated enough pedigree, enough of a profile, enough of a repertoire to go to Mike Babcock and say, here's how I want the lines to shape out, and I'm basically dictating to you what I want, so you may not do it, but you know you're going to piss me off. Does Austin Matthews have enough credibility at this point to go into the coach's office and make any sort of demands, if he has?
1: Well, I mean, from what Babcock said yesterday I, um, in in the interview with Drager, I, I think he's <clears throat> thinking like it's it, basically he said uh, a 28 year old player who's established, he would, you know, cater or listen to them more. You know, he says this is a young club and he's a 20 year old, mm-hmm. so there's still some molding and still some. You know like he I, I don't think mike babcock is ever going to yield completely to the wants and desires of a 20 year old that's mm-hmm. what i think what i what i gather from his commentary i might be off on that but that's what i think and you know i i i i think it's beneficial for austin matthews i mean the clear the goal for both of them is for austin matthews to be the best player he can be he wants to be you know the best two-way player in hockey as babcock said babcock obviously wants access to a player like that So, I mean, their goals are the same. But if you're asking me who has a better idea of what makes the best two-way player, a 20-year-old in Austin Matthews or Babcock, I would say Babcock. He's coached players like that before, so he knows. This story, you mentioned that it it could be much ado about nothing. And,
0: again, this is the byproduct of a seven-game loss to the Bruins. Had the Leafs gone through and at least played Tampa in the second round, the narrative may have been different as a fallout, but this is what we're dealing with. And mm-hmm. as much as there is this impression that Mike Babcock is set in his ways and is immovable uh, on philosophy, perhaps Austin Matthews might be generating a bit of a reputation, uh, fair or unfair, tr- uh, truthful or untruthful, right mm-hmm. or wrong, that he might be coming off as a bit of a, you know, superstar, a, a, a not a spoiled brat, but a guy who, you know, he's a prima donna. And I, I'm not saying that's fair th- in the same yeah. way that there's criticism of Mike Babcock lodged at him every single day. That's unfair, but this is what we're dealing with right now. And again, until we get back to playing until there's a n- new news, until there's something else for us to sink our teeth into, I mean, we are going to speculate and we're going to bloviate over a lot of these circumstances. And that's where we're at here. So, you know, what yeah. what happens if what happens if the Leafs sign John Tavares and now we have another franchise type center in the mix? And what if he's on the first line and Austin Matthews is bumped down to the second line? You know what I'm getting at here, Mike? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, he's young. He's impressionable. He's still learning his way. Uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I just hope that the, I hope the path is one of a little more stoicism than uh, one of petulance.
1: And and I've never picked up on that, you know, prima donna type of character when it comes to Austin Matthews. I mean, I was at the I was at the Air Canada Center for almost every game this year and every playoff game and in many scrums with Austin Matthews and never encountered anything other than someone who was a professional who was, you know, who was not not mm-hmm. uh, uh, burdened by his ego. I mean, he's I think he's pretty down to earth, and I think really he wants to be, you know, the best player in the a a drive there that he wants to be the best player in the league. And that's, that's a great thing for the league Mm -hmm. fans because, you know, some players are content to have to rely on their skills and he's got ample skills, but there is that there is a fire burning in that kid to be, to be the best. And that that's, that's a positive thing, but it's all a question of, you know, this may be a little bit of growing pains and he thinks that, you know, he, he can burden more of the, or handle more of the burden. I mean, according to Babcock in game seven, when they were losing in the third period, you know, Matthews wanted to be relied on more, wanted mm-hmm. to be out there, double shift or whatever, just to, to get the team going mm-hmm. get them over the hump. And, you know, that, that was, I guess that, that, uh, you know, that, that did not coincide with the plans of mm-hmm. Mike Babcock or what he wanted to do. So there was a little friction there, but you know, again, it's like in a competitive situation, that's going to happen. There's going to mm-hmm. be disagreement.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Mike Babcock ultra successful in Detroit, winning a Stanley cup, <laughs> How many, how many presidents' trophies did they win? How many 100-point seasons did they have? I mean, he was there for when yeah. this team, um, you know, really ramped up that uh, quarter-century-long playoff streak. Uh, and it, for as many star players as Mike Babcock had on the Red Wings, it was still done by committee. Everybody knew their role. There was a, uh, a humility on that team that seemed to uh, – you know be passed from one player to the next whether it was a Pavel Datsuk or a Henrik Zetterberg or a Darren Helm there was a it was a by committee sort of ideology that obviously worked successfully and Mike Babcock knows that's that's his game plan that's his modus operandi he brings it to Toronto and that's exactly what he wants it's not a, a structure where you have an Alex Ovechkin eating up ice time, taking all the shots and, uh, you know, he's he's super intense and super incredible and and super productive, but, you know, there's a disparity between him and, and, uh, you know, that second tier, third tier group of players. So I think that, you know, that's going to be a challenge for Austin Matthews wanting to do more, knowing he can do more, feeling he can do more and being told, well, you know what, you're just going to get what you get because the, the, the concept here is to have it done by committee You're part of the plan. You're better than most of your teammates, but you're going to do your fair share and your teammates are going to have to take on the rest.
1: And one of the things that Babcock said in the, uh, in the interview that I thought was interesting and I think will be a sort of a window into uh, what happens over the summer is that he, he realizes and, and, and um, reflects on the teams that are currently still in the playoffs and uh and the team that they lost to in the Bruins and says well they're they they were all very deep teams and when he comes when he's talking about the Leafs you know he's clearly intimating that the depth you know they may have organizational depth but they don't have depth of at the level of some of the teams that are currently in the playoffs and that's something that Kyle Dubas is going to have to address and obviously I think that means depth that Mike Babcock can use, and that doesn't mean players, that, and that's where that whole dynamic of, you know, D- Dubis's direction and Babcock's direction, they have to be one and the same, because if it's not players that Babcock will use in key situations, then it doesn't help the death, depth of the, of the of the organization, because he's not going to use players that he doesn't like.
0: Well, what, what was your saying, Mike? It's not all chocolates and roses? What was the saying you...
1: Yeah, no, not all not all roses and, and roses and candy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not it's not all roses and candy anymore, Mike. This isn't uh, this is no longer the little team that could. This is a team with high expectations on it. But a hundred and five point season in the regular season, there was an expectation amongst several that the Leafs would get past Boston. So you know, going into the next season, um, there there are going to be standards set. hundred plus point campaign. You got to get into that second, third round. Um, so the the pressure's ramping up uh, not just for Austin Matthews but the head coach too and uh, we we talked about Mike Babcock learning on the job here i mean if he if he's if he's established and feels that, he, that he's so staunch in his ways that um you know it's his way or the highway then this could have a bad ending for him here whether they win a cup or not you know if you are if you are if you are at the top of your game and you are amongst the elite and you are someone who is an influencer in this game, then you mm-hmm. have to influence yourself with, with new ideas and new concepts. And sometimes you're confronted with these situations where your old strategies employed would work. But in this circumstance, you have different personnel, different people, different personalities. And you're going to have to make changes. So I'm hoping Mike Babcock comes back to, uh, you know, um, preseason and at the exhibition uh, training camp. And, you know, he's learned things too, and he's evolved as well.
1: Well, I, I think that – let's just say this. The inflexibility of Babcock, I think, has, has been over, <clears throat> overemphasized mm-hmm. by, by some because if he was completely inflexible, then he would not have moved Leo off to the fourth line. <clears throat> he would have not called up Andreas Janssen in the last three weeks of the regular season. He wouldn't have installed Travis Dermott in January. I mean, there were, there were things – there were changes mm-hmm. that were made that definitely reflected somebody who was open to the fact that, you know, there were limitations with some of the players. Now the thing is, I think there there, there still is that belief on on the part of Babcock in the guys that he trusts. And that's why I'm saying like Roman Polak is going to be the sixth defenseman uh, was going to be the sixth Mm -hmm. defenseman on this team in the second half, no matter what. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he proved to be very good at Mm -hmm. that role. And that, I mean, that's, that's probably flying in the face of uh, the analytics crowd who don't like Roman Polak. Now the, the the question will be uh, this summer with, with Kyle Dubas in control is, will he get his toys? Will Mm -hmm. they, they re-sign, you know, Leo Komarov to a one-year contract or will they bring back Roman Polak because Babcock clearly wants those players and then can still use them Mm -hmm. or will, Will do is say, okay, no, you're going to have to use Justin Hall, or you're going to have to use Timothy Liljegren, or whatever, and that's where potential conflict mm-hmm. could be if, if Babcock doesn't think that they're ready. But I think that that's where you know they'll have to be some common ground uh, decided on mm-hmm. between the general manager and the head coach. This is the Leafs conversation, Norman James with Mike Jello. Is Roman Polak going
0: to be the stalwart defenseman on a 16 win run to a Stanley cup championship, or is he essentially a placeholder serving at the pleasure of the head coach until someone else comes along at, at there's going to, there's going to be that confrontation, not just between Dubas and Babcock, mm-hmm. but within himself where he's going to have to reconcile with the fact that it's time to move away from these players who've done, they've done great work um, in, within a certain time frame, but to elevate the team, it, it might make more sense to either bring in an FA, make that trade and bring someone else in to take that spot, or maybe elevate a player that uh, management believes and needs to have more time at the NHL level. Like, come on, like Roman Polak, uh, he might be a guy you trust, but is, <laughs> is, is in your mind, does does Bab- Mike Babcock envision him as, as one of the key pieces in a, a championship she- run?
1: I, I have to say I'm I'm a Roman Polak fan because I'm a fan, I'm a fan of his type of game. And mm-hmm. if you look at some of the teams, if you look at some of the teams in the in the playoffs right now, I mean Brooks orpic is a Roman Polak type player. He's mm-hmm. a, almost a zero offensively, mm-hmm. but he's a defensive defenseman. He's tough. He makes players pay in, to go into the mm-hmm. into the defensive zone, and really. Polak was not the problem in the playoffs. Mm -hmm. He was, he was tough. He was hitting Bruins players. He was not a liability. The liability was Jake Gardner. The liability was Nikita Zaitsev guys who were playing in the top Mm -hmm. four. So if you can bring back Roman Polak for a million and Mm -hmm. a half to $2 million on a one-year contract, that's not your problem. The Mm -hmm. problem is the guys who play 25, 26 minutes a night.
0: Well, I'm saying though, I I mean, you're not going to supplant, Jake Gardner, with a, uh, a prospect at at the HL level, who is not a blue chipper, but somebody you think could uh, assimilate with with the overall planet um, with the Maple mm-hmm. Leafs. A guy like Roman Polak, considering his age and considering uh, his his limited tools, although his tools uh, within that quadrant are are, are pretty um, valuable and, and productive. However, right. you know he is going to be the one who loses his job over say, AJ Gardner or Nikita Zaitsev, considering they're making more money. I mean, they might be considered more of a a, a part of, of the future plan for the defense corps. So, again, I have no issue with Roman Polak. I mean, he does. He plays his game. He, it's a quiet game. And, you know, a lot of times the defensemen you never hear of or you never hear from, you don't hear their name mentioned very much, but they're out there, you know, logging tons of minutes. They're the ones who... You know if they're the ones who are quietly going about their business. And Roman Polak did a a pretty nice job in the playoffs. Although they're going to have you're going to have a lot of people out there saying it was Roman Polak's fault, not Jake Gardner's fault. And that's why we have the Leafs conversation, so we can get it all out there, uh, air out our differences. And uh, at the end of the day, sometimes we just don't make any sort of appreciable change to the uh, to the discussion. But you know we still have it anyway. This is the Leafs convo. Norman James with Mike Ojello. Just a few more minutes. Um, Mike, the uh, Marley's still waiting to play. The Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Wow, are, are mm-hmm. they going to are they going to spook the are they going to spook the uh, Toronto AHLers on Saturday and Sunday, or do you feel like well, you know if, if Toronto plays its game, it's off to the uh, Calder Cup final.
1: Well, I expect the first game to be a little bit rusty because the the Marlies will have been off for eleven days, and even though the Phantoms definitely needed the rest, they'll be off for seven days because mm-hmm. they play they they clinched their um, series on Saturday. Um, I mean, the the one thing in talking to um, uh, Philadelphia Flyer reporter friends of mine who covered or know – that team pretty well Mm. you know they lost a couple defensemen in Travis Sanheim who played with the Flyers this year and Sam Moran so you know they I don't know if they'll be back for for the beginning of that series but it you know the, the Marlies will be well rested rested and completely healthy and the Phantoms will be rested but I don't know about completely healthy so to me that gives the Marlies an advantage but as we've learned in series in the NHL and the AHL really that home ice advantage really doesn't matter sometimes and I mean although even though the Marlies are I believe 5-0 and at home Mm -hmm. right now you know it's very very possible Lehigh Valley is a team that took five overtimes to win a a road game so and Alex Lyon their goaltender has played great so it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough series for them but I I still think the Marlies are the better team.
0: Well the way they're composed uh, what they accomplished in the regular season the fact they've won five in a row this team uh, is should be the favorite to to win the Calder Cup, and heck, why not just do it? I mean, we've seen so many teams in position to to achieve that ultimate goal and fail because that's sports. But why not be in position to achieve that ultimate goal and actually achieve it, yeah. Mike? Real quick, for for those who are listening to the podcast and are interested in our discussions about Austin Matthews, Mike Babcock, John Tavares speculation. <laughs> Stuff related mainly to the Maple Leafs. Why should they pay attention to what's going on with the Marlies?
1: Well, I mean, you look at the you look at the team last year and this year. Uh, you know, the the young insurgents of guys like Connor Brown, Zach Hyman. Uh, you know, the, all, the, all those young forwards, William Nealander, to an extent, they all came from the Marlies. That that team that that made the conference final a couple of years ago. The, the core group of that team is the group that made their difference uh, as rookies than the following October with the Leafs. So, I mean, I, I think that there are at least three, maybe four players on the Marlies that, are going to be competing for a job at training. Camp. I mean, I think Dermot and I think Janssen are going to be Leafs next year, especially with the exodus of uh, of Van Riemsdyk mm-hmm. and, and Kamarov and a couple others. Um, I think there's a there's a decent chance that a guy like Carl Grundstrom, who was their second round pick a couple of years ago, who's played great in the AHL after playing in the Swedish league the last couple of years. He, you know, to me, you know, he's a, he'll be a 20 year old kid. I believe when they, when they, uh, enter training camp and he's feisty and he's, he's Leo, but I think a little, a lot faster and, uh, and. Uh, I think with more offensive gifts, so they, you know there's three, there was three or four, and you know you never know with Kyle Dubas taking control, maybe more of those Marlies that could step up to the NHL, and you know they they sort of need those young guys to keep coming through the pipeline because those are entry level contracts you're paying less than a million dollars to for two or three years, and that enables you to go out in free agency and spend the money on a defenseman or on a John Tavares. So I think the what happens with the Marlies is very important. Well, they're not just there to <laughs> fill out roster spots. They're not just people
0: you're employing to play a game at the minor league level. They're in that situation to, to season and prepare for graduation to the next level. And uh, part, of, part of the experience that you know, will, is invaluable and clearly goes a long way to helping develop players is being on a successful team potentially winning a championship and again the Marlies are in position to win it all they're looking good why not go ahead and do it uh Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals up two games to none on the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference mm-hmm. final uh, are you are you surprised by that we'll make it quick here. are you surprised by that and do yeah. you think you know quietly maybe this is the Capitals opportunity to get to the final and I don't know perhaps Alex Ovechkin can finally break that um break that Stanley Cup drought that you know people are starting to talk about
1: well full disclosure i picked tampa in this series so i'm a little bit stunned and the funny thing is is that right now you know, in talking about this series before it began, uh, a lot of people who picked Washington expected Braden Holtby to like sort of stand on his head, and that would be the way that Washington would win. I, I think he's been rather pedestrian. I mean, I think right now the reason Tampa is losing is because Andre Vasilevsky can't stop a beach ball. <laughs> he's been terrible, especially giving up goals in the last ten seconds in Game One oh, yeah. and Game Two, which are which are killers. Um, but they're not but Tampa Bay is not playing up to the level that I thought that they were when they were the level that they were playing against Boston and I'm a little surprised but just like Washington who lost the first two games at home to Columbus and then came back and won four straight I'm not ready to sign off on Tampa mm-hmm. Bay being uh, being out so I, I think there's a chance they come back but obviously Washington is has the advantage right now the way that they're playing in to
0: what a strange journey that would be for Tampa if they actually made the uh, Stanley Cup final to lose the first two at home and then find their game and somehow get it done over over 7 because I'd have a feeling if they're going to win the series they'd have to go 7. But again, you know, the Capitals, come on Ovechkin, you're one of the purest goal scorers ever. I mean, the guy's whether you like him his personality or not, that guy has been a it, it's been a blessing for us, us to watch him perform over this era i mean he's been fantastic here's an opportunity for him to take over i mean he has an opportunity and we'll see if the capitals in this terrific position can actually um you know put their foot on the throat of the tampa bay lightning tonight with an opportunity to go up three games to none uh vegas jets look great that series tied at one uh so much to cover Mm -hmm. mike you do it for sporting news you do it for hockey buzz and of course the leafs combo Mm -hmm. If you have anything else to add, go for it now because we're about to shut it down.
1: Uh, just in the next couple of days, I'll be uh, doing my uh, uh, evaluations of individual players on Hockey Buzz. Um, I, I know that I caught a little bit of heat from some Leaf fans who thought that my grade of uh, B plus for Frederick Anderson for the year was uh, was low, and I, I mean, I had to point out that. He had a bad first month. He was great for most of the rest of the season, but he tailed off at the end of the year, probably because of overuse. And then in the playoffs, he was either great or he was not so great. So I think B-plus was a fairly uh, accurate uh, grade, and I'm sure that people will disagree with some of the grades that I have uh, for some other players in the next few days.
0: Didn't you give Alan Bester a B-plus 30 years ago?
1: <laughs> yeah, but that was that was before the Sergio Momesso okay. overtime goal. Have a good one, Mike. Thanks. Thanks, Nora.
0: Have you heard TLC Daily yet? It's new stuff. More Leafs content for you. Hear it on our radio public app. You can listen to it and watch it on our YouTube page. While you're there, please like and subscribe to that darn thing. It means a lot to us. We're picking up subscribers by the hour. The Leafs conversation is out of control. Nothing's going to stop us. You're a part of it. It means so much to us. Contact me through social media at IamSportsHeart at The Leafs Convo. You can also reach out to Mike Agello at Mike in Buffalo. Again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We have so much more in store. For now, I am out.